welcome to its uh, Just Impolite Love podcast, uh, second episode, uh, here with the Honorable Uncle uh, uh, Jennifer Ellen Parker and myself, David Claysbrook. Uh, today, we're going to be discussing uh, some PTSD, and uh, we're both going to talk, and then we're going to kind of go from there. Over to you. So, hello. Hello. How was your week? Not too bad. Yours? Mine was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get any feedback? I got some. Oh, I just got some today, too. Very, very positive. All positive. So it was good. Well, there was some feedback that said that you need to stop cutting me off. I, I might have gotten the same feedback. <laughs> <laughs> so I will be in listening mode. The well, show. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll try that. See how that works. I'm fine with you cutting in when you need to cut in. I, I just get excited. I know. And that's, that's all right. Really... Well, so Libby, mm-hmm. oh. my 16-year-old daughter, yeah. she um, she listened to the podcast with me in the car. I wanted to have her hear it before everyone started asking her about it. And um, she said, we did a good job. That's good. She said, you did an excellent job. <laughs> and that she thinks I might need to let you talk more. And I need to speak up. And you need to speak up with another comment. Yes, I need to speak up. And then also women wanted to know your number. No, they didn't. <laughs> no, they Maybe. Didn't. No, it's, a, it's private. It's not to be let out to anybody. No. One of the things that people liked was that it seemed like a real conversation. Yes, I got that too, which was good. I, I, I appreciated that, that kind of comment. It was, it was a good conversation between two people. Talking about real subjects, right? Right. And my family, my mom and my sister, they said it was it was funny because they know me so well. Yeah. <laughs> they were trying to listen as if they didn't. Um, but they they wanted to know how we talk when we're not doing a podcast. It's very similar. I would say, right? I, I think so. They they wanted to know if we banter, or if we talk about politics, if we talk about all of these different subjects. I would say we do. Constantly. Constantly. Yes, and that's why we thought it would be a good idea for the podcast. Just us talking. We we are joined by another another being today. Ruby's here. Ruby's here. My dog. Yep. And uh, Harry is also here, my dog. Where's your big boy? How's it going? They're they're doing okay. This is Ruby's house, so she's a little bit putting Harry in his place, which is fine. But it's getting better. It's getting better. Slowly but surely. You took control of this situation. I'm trying to. I'm trying to make sure Ruby understands that it's not okay to attack <laughs> Harry. Now she's I mean, she's not attacking, she's not drawing blood or biting him on the neck or anything like that. She's just you know, asserting her like, "Hey, this is my house, man." For the record, Ruby has not bitten. No, she has not. And Harry, for the first time, kind of nipped back today, which is good. That's good. He should stick up for himself. But we're we're trying, right? I'm experiencing you in the true alpha male role. That's for the I'm, first time. I'm trying to do the alpha male role where we have to set boundaries for the dogs and what's what's acceptable and what's not acceptable as the alpha. Right, Ruby? All right, I'll let you go. So 
one of the things you and I talked about was after listening to the podcast, and it seemed like there were a few things that we stumbled on that we kind of guessed at. Yes. That we were uncertain about. Yes. We have answers for those now. Yes. Well, quick. We have quick Google answers. And um, one of the things that I feel is important to say is that we don't ever pretend or I don't pretend to know everything. No, neither do I. And I think it's important if we misstate something or. Or we leave an open question that we wanted answered, we answer it. We look it up. We do. We do the work, the research. Right. So one of the first, was it that? It was, it was the, uh, the paratroopers. The female paratroopers. So was, and I was surprised by this answer. Go ahead. I, I think I was surprised too. So yeah. they enacted the legislature or the policy needed in 1977 to allow women to join the 82nd, 82nd Airborne. Airborne. Yeah. And, um, but it was not until the following year that five, and I don't know the terminology, so correct So they, me. Went to, they went to Airborne School, which is at Fort Benning, Georgia. Now, the, the context of this is that uh, the Airborne program for the U.S. Army started uh, with World War II uh, with the initial units. So they, you know, that's when they jumped into Sicily and, and Normandy, uh, those jumps in World War II. Uh, so there were combat. You had to go to Airborne School to become certified, which is five jumps out of an aircraft after it's a three-week training school. So between, and I think it officially became a school until 1946. So they were training them, but there was, it wasn't an official school until mm-hmm. 1946. And then, but women were not allowed in the school until, I'm not sure the exact date, but it was either late 1977 or early 1978. So 1978 is when the first five, yeah. the group of five women, and um, I wrote, it was in Fort Bragg. Yep. Um, well, that's, that's where the... Uh, that's where the 82nd Airborne is stationed. So the school for Airborne School is uh, at uh, Fort Benning, Georgia. So the school is the schoolhouse is there, and then you anybody can go through Airborne School. Just about as long as you you know you have some sort of physical attributes that you're able to. Do you do have it. to be enlisted? You, yeah, you have to be enlisted right. or, or an officer. But uh, anybody can go, and you can just get. We used to call them five jump chumps because they get their five jumps, they get their Airborne wings, and move on. And then some individuals get stationed with the 82nd airborne which is an active parachute red uh, division so they actually continue to jump and that's how they can arrive they can arrive in combat so that there was a lieutenant that she was the first uh well all five went to the 82nd airborne they were the first soldiers allowed in the 82nd airborne as women and uh, I think this was kind of a cool story. The, uh, so I believe it was the day they arrived at their unit. Mm-hmm. The commanding general, the 82nd Airborne, uh, went down to personally welcome them to the division, shook each of their, uh, of their hands, and personally said, you are paratroopers of the 82nd Airborne, and you will not be treated any differently. And this, and this gentleman ended up becoming the first four-star general African-American in the United States Army. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's and cool. all of the comments, I think it was Lieutenant Blue yeah. was the woman that yep. seemed to be interviewed the most. Yeah. And she she made it a point to say that they were treated as paratroopers right. and um, that it was an incredible experience. And she was very honored to be part of the first group. So, yeah, so that kind of clears up our, our messy. Well, there's one more. 
You have more? Of course you do. No, we had one more. Oh, one more. Yeah. So we had named, well, we were talking about Epstein and the whole sex trafficking case. And I had brought up, you know, who's on trial now. Right. Well, so Epstein never went to trial. Yeah, we didn't. I, I, I couldn't remember if he went to trial or not, or had started his trial. And I said that he had hung himself, but I was uncertain. I, I knew that it was a it was claimed as a suicide. And then, of course, with some of the conspiracy theories, yeah. there was questions raised. But the article that I found said that he had committed suicide by hanging himself. Yeah. Which, okay, so if he's under you know, close watch. Right. One can ask, how does that happen? But that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. He's not the first inmate to commit suicide. No, I'm sure not the last. So, yeah. So, yeah, those were the, those were the big questions we had after that. And then the only other thing I challenged you to watch G.I. Jane with Mm -hmm. me. I did not watch G.I. Jane. I almost got you there. I had a yes. (laughs) And I saw the look on your face and I was like. I'll try to watch it this week. I will try to watch it this week. I've seen bits of it, like when it's on TV or something like that. It just, I, I'm not a huge military movie person because usually they, just, there's a, they take a lot of the realism out of it. I don't know that story either. So maybe I'll look up the story first and then I'll watch the. Uh, it's pretty graphic. So I'm sure it was. I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm, I really don't know the story. So I'll, I will do that for the next podcast. I will, I will watch it and I will have a comment on it, I guess. Yeah. I don't want to, I mean, it's fine. Yeah. It doesn't, I guess. And it doesn't matter. So we yeah. did watch another movie instead, which I think you were a little nervous. It was going to be a rom-com. Yeah. It was a, uh, the secret life of Walter Mitty, which I did like. Excellent movie. Yes. It's a really good movie. What was your favorite part? Um, I like when he jumped in the water with a shark. The he dog. did. Yeah. yeah that, that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that, so you feel good about our first podcast? Yes. Clearing things up? Yes. Comments that were received were, I need to not cut you off. Mm-hmm. Um, I also got comments that sometimes your voice got really soft and yes. people wanted to hear everything you said. Right. So I will try to speak up. You're doing great. Thank you. I'm trying to be more cognizant of my voice. So shall we? Yeah, let's right. let's do this. So um, this this week uh, we want to talk about uh, PTSD. Uh, neither of us are psychologists, and uh, neither of us are trained mental health professionals, but uh, we can talk to our own stories and our own experiences. So we thought we would kind of go in with that, and we were going to start with Jennifer and her story with PTSD and how it's impacted her life. And I will, in a way, interview her, and then she will interview me. So, without further ado, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what is your PTSD derived from? So, as as it was explained to me, mm-hmm. um, after months of counseling, is that um, traumatic situations that should not occur or ever occur with a young child um, had happened to me and we couldn't pinpoint the actual date, but my therapist said that most likely, um, between the ages of three to five. And now after spending some time with it, 
and having some safe space from everything and putting together the pieces of the flashbacks and everything. I remember the room that I was in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that occurred before first grade because we had moved to that house, moved away from that house when I was um, in kindergarten. Mm. So it was young. It was really young. Right. Um, Yeah. And it, it involved, I don't, I don't even know the proper way to say this. It involved um, inappropriate contact between an adult and a child. Yeah. Okay. And was not until two years ago that I was able to say definitively who that adult was. Okay. And your memory or lack thereof of it, does it come from, or I mean, if you know, does it come from blocking it out or does it come from being so young? She, she had said that the severity of it, um, oftentimes, and this, again, I'm not a, I'm not licensed Mm -hmm. therapist, psychologist or any of that. And she had said this to me when I was 26. So this is, this is some time ago. So if I'm operating on memory mm-hmm. the best that I can, she'd said, um, it's, it was a combination of both is that if trauma is too much mm-hmm. for a person to handle, the body's very, um, intelligent at knowing what it needs to store right. and kind of lock away. Mm-hmm. Um, the other piece being that I was so young, I probably didn't have cognizant awareness of what was happening, whether it was right or wrong. Um, and that, and that's honestly what my triggers came from is more the emotional state that I was in, um, throughout life. Mm-hmm. And it could be anything that brought me to that similar emotional state or something that made me feel or be reminded of, um, would trigger me and my whole body would just react. Mm-hmm. So when you were young, did it impact you differently from when you were younger till you were older? Or do you, is there something that started to impact you more as you got older? I think when I was young, um, people will say that I was withdrawn very, when I was very little, very quiet. Oddly enough, we had a pool in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, and the neighborhood called me Lady Godiva. I just never would keep any clothes on. Yeah. And I and I think about that being kind of like scary in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really young. Um, I think when I really started struggling was puberty, middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, high school is when I got identified by staff at the school and pulled aside. Um, and then when I went into college, I was having what I would say now, like almost like temper tantrums, like mm-hmm. something would trigger me and I just wanted to get out of my body and I just, I couldn't. And I would just like sob or like, um, it was, it was pretty ugly. You're, like you're tr- having trouble sounds like it was, you're having trouble processing what you were feeling. So society was probably telling you at this age, as a woman, you should be thinking and doing these things. 
and you are probably thinking, well, I should be doing that and thinking and feeling that, and but I'm not. I'm thinking and feeling this, or I can't get there. I would. That's what it sounds like to me. But one of my earliest memories is like um, beard stubble mm-hmm. burning my face. Right. So, and if someone, so I never liked to be touched. Mm-hmm. Never liked to be hugged. Would mm-hmm. always do the pat on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that would happen to me if I was in large groups, I would. And this, I know this is going to sound corny or unbelievable to some. That's okay. But I would, I feel like, Dave, I feel like I left my body and I was floating over the crowds. Yeah. Like it was too much to be mm-hmm. confined. Right. To or there a crowd? not be able to get out of a crowd. Right. Um, mm. And then um, I think... One thing I realized in my early 20s is I wouldn't leave the house by myself. So what I would do is if I had to run to the grocery store or go shopping, I would always line up someone, a friend, say, hey. Hey, let's go to the grocery store. Hey, let's (laughs) hang out, like under the guise. that. And when I was driving in my car, it was always, there was always someone hiding in the back. Yeah. I Mm. just had that eerie feeling. That that feeling, yeah. Yeah. you You didn't feel safe. Uh, Never felt safe. Yeah. Hmm. Never felt safe. Um, It was really hard to be in the dark. It was Hmm. really hard to be home alone. When I moved out of the house at 18, I moved in with my high school sweetheart into an apartment in college. Hmm. So I never, and then we got married. So I was never truly alone. Right. Um, And if... If I was home, if he was working and was going to be getting home late or something, I had I had patterns or routines to make me feel safe. And now, back then, I didn't realize I was doing it. Right. Now, as I get further away from it and I've done more and more work and I'm more relaxed at home and I actually like look forward to my alone time and I take comfort from it, I think back to when I was an early adult, late teenager, and the things that I did, and I said, oh, holy shit, I was off my rockers like if I had met me I would have been like this girl needs some help right when did you think you realized you needed help Um, maybe what triggered that I think what I referred to as those tantrums the sobbing fits first started happening when I moved out of the home that my father was in Mm -hmm. So it was the first physical space I had gotten away from him. So you started to feel. So you started to feel like I'm. I don't want to say not right because it wasn't your. And there was nothing wrong with you. If oh, you it looked like there was something but, wrong but with me. But it was definitely something. I mean, that's the best way I can describe. I I think now, and again, this is just my opinion. I think my body was trying to release some of the stored trauma. Yeah. Through through the sobbing, through mm. the discomfort, through the. I don't know what else to call him other than tantrums. Like mm. he would have to calm me down. And if he wasn't there, I would call my sister mm. who lived in North Carolina at the time. So you relied on some family to, to help. Um, Just it. I, I, yeah, those were my two closest safe people mm-hmm. at the time. Right. And thank God they were open to letting me, letting me um, show them what I was going through. Mm-hmm. And not being so judgmental and harsh. And has it changed since then? 
No more crying fits. Okay. And then, <laughs> so once again, I'm not a healthcare professional or a mental health professional. So I've always been told, like, you know, you have to, you have to develop coping skills or, some, you know, it's, you're going to feel the reaction. You're going to feel this way. It's the acting on yeah. those actions so, or feelings. So I didn't get there until, so moving out. So in my 18, I moved out and um, my dad and mom got divorced mm -hmm. after 39 years of an unsafe marriage. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not going to say a lot about that because my mom's very private and she's listening to this and yeah. her friends are listening yeah. to this. She, she was amazing. Mm -hmm. And I, I credit her with all of this stuff that I was able to do in life. Right. But when... When they got divorced, he he went up north to Holton, Maine, where it was good memories that he had had. And then um, he ended up taking his own life. Mm. And that must have triggered something. In, I, mean, I imagine it would. So my mom and I were having a yard sale when my brother called uh -huh. to let us know. And I had answered the phone. And um, he said, um, Jen, dad's dad's dead. And my first reaction was laughter. Oh, my God. And I remember it was the old days. So we had the phone in the kitchen on the wall with right. the long cord. Yeah. And I remember standing there and wrapping that cord around my finger and just laughing and waiting for tears to come and almost asking myself, why am I laughing? Right. And at that time, still didn't piece all of it together. Right. How old were you at the time? I was 22. I had just okay. had my son. Okay. Was married. Mm -hmm. Married at 21. Um, Aaron came at a year after, a full year. Yeah. And um, my dad took his own life on Father's Day. Oh. Um, after that is when um, things kind of started crumbling a bit. First divorce came a couple years later. And then um, met someone, started dating, and it was just not good mm -hmm. and i ended up going to counseling under his suggestion i believe mm -hmm. and it was a few counselors till i found the right one and then finally landed in um well i'll say her name she's amazing and she's still taking clients cynthia luma she was in kittery at the time just amazing mm -hmm. um and i think that's when i started gaining coping skills right um, and the, and last thing I'll say before we move to you, it's a lot to share and a lot of people listening are like, it's a lot to hear. Yeah. Um, one of the things that had helped me along the way was when I was very young, I was probably, I want to say I was 11, even my sister gave me a book and it was, um, the way of the peaceful warrior mm -hmm. by Dan Millman. Yeah. And it's all about finding center balance and knowing that there's something bigger than yourself. Yeah. And then that just started me on this journey that still exists where I'm constantly reading one, two, three, four or five books at a time that are about back then they were called self-help. Yes. Right. They don't call them anymore. It was, it was the big new age movement. Yeah. Okay. Anything spiritual was new, new age. age. Okay. Yeah. In self-help. And so all the big ones, you know, Deepak Chopra, yeah. um, 
Wayne Dyer, mm. Dolores Cannon. So a lot, some of it started slipping into esoteric reading. Do you know what that is? No. That's another podcast. Okay. Esoteric. Sounds like something you'd get at the beauty parlor. Maybe. Yeah. It's not, but okay. I can see how you'd say that. Um, oh, you know what the other comment was? What's that? From my literary agent. Yeah. And then also some friends from the past. They they said they want us to disagree more. We could disagree. In this podcast. Yeah. So. There you go. We'll, we'll disagree. Maybe not in this podcast, but we will disagree. So we'll just keep that in mind. We'll we'll we'll, we'll put some like strong political debates or uh, man versus woman. Yeah, yeah. We man. seem to get a rub on when that. Yeah. yeah. When that comes up. Um, yeah. So I have been deep diving in reading and now podcast and YouTube and and attending lectures and so now it's called. Um, self-growth or expansion yeah. or I still call it self-help. It's fine. It's, it's new fine. age, whatever. It's whatever it is. It what is. Is if it helping you, but then I don't care what you call it. You know, books like the five agreements, right? The alchemist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even, um, Mar- this is the last thing that I'll say. And then I want to start asking you questions. Sure. I will never forget. Um, I picked up this book, and it was by Marianne Williamson. She had just recently run mm-hmm. for the presidential election. Do you no, remember? No, I don't remember that. Um, I don't. I don't you don't remember Marianne Williamson? No, I don't. So. Um, so she wrote a book. She wrote many books right. and is still writing and lecturing around the world. But her book that I picked up and read was called A Return to Love. Okay. And it was all about finding love in your life, finding yeah. Finding someone that could could be that. Back then it was called better half, not other half. There's all these little nuances as we expand as a society. But um, I'll never forget this. She said, sit down and make a list of the 10 qualities or traits you would like to see in a partner. The right. ideal partner. The right. best partner of all partners. Right. And so in her book she says, go ahead and write those down. And then come back when you have them. So I was young, yeah. following the rules. I did it. I created right. the best man possible yes. ever. <laughs> and then went back to the book. And then the next line was, if you were this person, would you want to date yourself? Yeah. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I was like, there's no way in hell. There's like no way that this, because I would put like hike mountaintops, oh, like all of like the most romantic, yeah. like larger than life things. Right. And you're like, I don't want to go hike mountaintops every day. Or I don't know. Well, maybe I do, but like. I like to take a nap too. Yeah, I didn't put nap taker on my list. Mm. So I'll never forget that. So sometimes I think what I what I did from there was kind of take a conscious inventory of where I was as a young adult. And started to reevaluate how you're going to move forward. Who am I? Right, and how you're going to move forward. Mm -hmm. So that's my story in a nutshell. Well, thank you for sharing. What do you think? I like well. Yes, <laughs> you like it? Which I, part I, I, do you I, like? I, 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 you're brave for sharing. Let's put it that way. Did you have any idea? Um, yeah, some, but I mean, I know you know it's 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 very personal, you know, and especially I mean, I I can't speak to that because it's 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 a family issue, and I grew up in a family where I felt very safe. 
And so that's, you know, when I can't, I can't, I can empathize, but I can't sympathize. Yeah. You know? And, and I do want to say that, you know, I was talking to my sister this morning and she's 14 years older than me. And she said, Jen, none of us had any idea. Yeah. No. And I, I think most people don't, I think they, you know, that's, that's part of it. it's a power play and it's a, it's a secret. That's why they go after children because it's, it's easier to manipulate. And you know, the details are dirty, right? The details are filled with shame. Yeah. Um, the other thing all my life was that I've always felt incredibly dirty. My house never feels clean enough. Yeah. Up and through my thirties, I was taking four showers a day, really yeah. hot, hot, hot showers. Right. Um, always embarrassed when friends, certain people come visit because I, I innately feel like my house is dirty. I right. can't, whether it is or not, yeah. like, um, yeah. So, I mean, there's still things that I have to work through. But I'm doing it. Good. Yeah. I can tell you're doing it. It's hard. You know, it's, it's not easy. Because you've known me for how many days now? It was the ninth. Ninth? Yeah. Yeah, I'm there around there. So. No. So what's today's date? It's the 27th. We can't. So, neither of us can do math. No. So that's so 18 days. Yeah. Um, Close enough. So met you. Mm. I I actually found out that you had been diagnosed PTSD before we had even started communicating because right. we happened to be on the front page of the newspaper That's together. Right. Yeah, so I did a podcast, um, and go check this one out because she's really good at uh, anxiety and the artist. And because uh, she, she's, uh, Allison's her name, she's a lovely woman. And she does uh, a podcast. It's more geared towards uh, people that are in the artistic industry. Uh, but she wanted to talk to me about PTSD and things like that as a yoga teacher. So she goes to my yoga studio. Did she know you had been diagnosed with PTSD? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I talk about it openly now. Anyway, I, I mean, I put it on my Instagram page. I even joke about it on my Instagram, my, Instagram, my yoga classes. You know, I'm 50% crazy. The VAs, you know says I'm 50% disabled because of PTSD. So you never know which side you're going to get. Then no one's seen regular Dave in quite some time. Have I? I, I don't know. You don't know who I, Dave I, I, is? I'm not, I'm not sure. I do not know who regular Dave is. So, but I was, uh, so my PTSD came from the combat situation in Iraq. Uh, not one particular incident in, in say that I can say like, Oh, this is the, I can pinpoint this. Uh, it was probably uh, an overall thing. Uh, so when you go to the VA to get diagnosed, if you have PTSD, they uh, at least back then, they asked you to write down three stories where you felt your life was in danger. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wrote one, and they told me I could stop. And they said, no, that's enough. That one is not. I, I gave them the worst firefight that I was in. That was the one I started with. So, uh, and, you know, honestly, at the time, uh, the, the reason I, I just did that was because uh, I got out of the military. Um, I had a uh, friend of mine from high school's dad was a Vietnam vet, and he asked me to come to the VFW to kind of, you know, hang out with some other vets. And whenever you get vets together, they, they're very candid. And uh, they told me, you know, have you been to the vet center yet? And the vet center is a little bit different than the VA. The vet center falls under the VA, 
but it's a separate entity. Uh, it was designed after or created after Vietnam because the Vietnam vets were going to the VA and not getting the help they needed. So what ended up happening is the government put in a separate entity. It's funded by the VA, all those kinds of things, but it doesn't answer to the VA, if you will. And this vet center is literally there just to help vets go through the process and get help in the VA. So they said, no, you need to go to the vet center and, you know, and you probably need to get some PTSD stuff. And I said, no, nah, I'm fine. And that's most vets say that. And they said, no, you need to go because, you know, if you go and you get diagnosed, that helps out other vets go too. Okay. So that's why I went. And even after I went and I got in, uh, it's a pretty good program. So they, they took my story. They actually have uh, uh, lawyers or organizations like Disabled American Veterans I went through. They just, they'll put a lawyer on your case and they will fight the VA for you. You don't do anything. What are you fighting for? Uh, your disability uh, benefits, benefits or? right. So when I got out of the military, I was rated at 30%. Um, so they went and did their thing and um, came back. Yep, you have PTSD. Okay. And that was the end of it. That was the end of it. Um, so now it goes into the system and the VA goes, you know, they start making appointments for you to go see a psychologist or psychiatrist or whatever it is. And most of them are, uh, and I don't want to disparage them because there's some very good ones out there, but you know, sometimes it's just checklist. It's a bureaucracy. That's what the VA is. So they have a checklist. They have to go down. They ask you certain questions and you say yes or no. Mm -hmm. And if you start to understand the system, you know what the answer yes or no to, because if you don't want to get, you know, bothered, if you will, um, by other, you know, agencies that might start to come check on you, uh, you know how to answer the questions. So, but, uh, I went in there one time and I had this really good uh, psychologist and she said, you know, how are you feeling? And I started talking and he started kind of leading me into a more of a conversation. It was the first time somebody had done that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it came out and I was like, I'm very angry all the time. And he's like, you know, I just like everything pisses me off. Everything. This makes me mad. That makes me mad. And I, I, not that I'm, you know, putting holes in walls or hitting people or anything like that, but everything I'm always revving on, you know, 75, it's not zero to 60. It's, you know, 75 to hundred. That's what I'm, you know, I'm idling at. And, uh, he said, well, you're depressed. And I was like, depressed. No, I want to kick everybody's ass. Mm -hmm. I'm not depressed. So that's a, anger is a sign of depression. So, that kind of opened my eyes to it and uh, trying to get more help and try to take care of better, better care of myself. But I really wasn't able to do it. Um, unfortunately through the VA too, you know, they offer you help. Dave, um, we have a group that'll come talk about PTSD and help you. It's every Thursday at 9 AM. <laughs> Sorry, I have a job. I can't be there. Um, and so that was kind of an issue too. And I mean, I could have gone outside, but I didn't want to. It's that, um, that, uh, wanting to handle it yourself type thing. And like when you say go outside for people that have never been well, so like close to the military. I, yeah. Outside the VA. So I, I could go, I could have gone outside the VA. You know, my, my, I had medical benefits through my, my job and I could have done that, but why I'm fine. So it took me a while to, to realize that I was not fine. And that I needed to start having some sort of other outlet. And uh, 
things kind of got worse because um, I was starting to, my body was starting to feel the effects of being in the military for that those many years. Uh, my hip started to really hurt and I got diagnosed that I needed my hip replaced at 35. Uh, shoulders hurt, back hurt. I had another back surgery. Um, I couldn't stay in shape. So I started getting out of shape. I could no longer run. Uh, so I was kind of in a place where like, I just felt like I was worthless. And, uh, it's kind of like looking back now, it's kind of like a dark fog, right? You're in it and you feel it, but you almost don't know it cause you've been in it so long. Right. I didn't realize it. And so it wasn't until, uh, I went to the studio I now own, Yoga in York, that I went there and I, because I, I couldn't work out the way I'd always wanted to. I'd always been used to running, running, lifting weights, those kinds of things. And, but I, so I said, well, yoga's body weight training, if you will. Why couldn't you work out anymore? Well, my hip, I couldn't run because my hip. Um, my shoulders just hurt from lifting weights. I started to get like, I like, I love to do pull ups. I started getting, I think it's a tennis elbow or a golfer's elbow on the inside of the elbow. Mm -hmm. I just, I couldn't do pull-ups anymore. So it was just slowly, I felt like I was falling apart. So I went to yoga um, and uh, I hated my first class. I got into the class and I was like, everybody's nice in yoga. They go, how are you? And I'm kind of like, why are you asking? <laughs> why who do the, you care? Who the hell are you? You don't know who I am. You know, there's Shavasana at the end. Everybody close your eyes. Oh, yeah, I'm going to close my eyes in a room full of strangers that I don't know. No. Do you know what's so funny? Like, everybody talks about Shavasana. Like, it is the greatest thing on this planet, right? Like, oh, that's the whole reason I want to do yoga. And for me, maybe it is the PTSD, but I always get to that position, and I can stay in it maybe 20 seconds. Yeah, it's it's hard for a lot of people because they want to, they, they, their mind keeps racing. It's it's. It takes a lot of practice. Explain what it is if someone so, doesn't know. So Shavasana, uh, as a Sanskrit word, translated means corpse pose. So you're supposed to lie still, lie still in a comfortable position. And basically, I don't want to say shut off the mind because you can't shut off the mind, but you're supposed to let it go and <laughs> not have a focus or a objective or anything in your mind. Now, no human can do that because if you do that, you're no longer thinking, which means you're dead. Uh, but so what I tell students is like, you're going to have thoughts come to your mind. Just don't hang on to them. Let them go. You know, hey, you know, oh, what am I going to make for dinner? Don't worry about that right now. Well, I, I think, you know, yoga played a big part in my ability to function each day too. But it's like those three words, let it go. It's very. They seem very to be hard. like the answer to right. everything. And it, it it might be, but it's it's a it's a lot harder than just saying oh, let it go. Uh, like I said, I hated my first yoga class. The only reason I went back was uh, well, the two reasons I went back. Uh, one, I got a workout. Two, the teacher was very non-judgmental. Uh, she said several times, it's okay if you fall out of a pose. It's okay if you can't do this pose. Uh, you fall out, just come back in. And I felt safe enough to practice and look like an idiot. So that's why I went back. And after about the third class, I was kind of like, okay, I feel better. Mm -hmm. 
and I want to continue to do this. It took several months to, to make me really start to feel the psychological effects where I started to realize, okay, how do I calm myself down? Uh, if I'm, you know, that I, I may not always get rid of the intrusive thoughts, but I don't have to act on them. I can slow myself down, at least in my mind, and say, okay, Dave, you're starting to get really upset. Is it worth getting upset over? Breathe, think through this, and do you need to react to this in that way? And I was able to say, no, I don't need to react to it in that way. It's okay that I felt it, it's there, but I'm not reacting to it in an unhealthy way anymore. One of the most powerful things that I learned, and it'll be interesting to see if you, you're, I'm assuming you have learned this as well, is that um, Eckhart Tolle, I remember him saying, you know, you are not your thoughts. Right. And it's very true. And I was, and again, I was like, well, of course I am. And, you know, the, him, him, Ruby, Ruby, Ruby's very aware of Harry under the table right now. But so not being aware of your thoughts means you can watch your thoughts as a bystander. And kind of like as a movie and let them play out right. and disassociate from them. Right. And then consciously start to choose different thoughts. Right. And it, and it, that's hard. It's very hard. Very hard. And it's, it, I mean, it takes people lifetimes to figure that out uh, and, or try to master it. I know I haven't mastered it because I'm human and I'm going to make mistakes. So I, even if I can. I watch you, I watch you in difficult situations and not that we've spent a ton of time together, but you are you are very good about moving through life. Even with the dogs today, yeah. it's very stre- that's stressful. Mm-hmm. There are two animals that we love more than anything else. Right. And they're feeling each other out. And you know, Ruby is definitely larger than Harry, which is a big puppy. Yes. But um, yeah, you just uh, you know, and I, I do want to mention too that. Um, I get this a lot of times, and this maybe this is just being a veteran and kind of what I went through. So I've had, like, I went to the gun range yesterday, and someone said, you know, does it bother you, the gun range? No, it doesn't bother me at the least bit. Uh, do large explosions bother you? No, not at all. Um, my PTSD was based more on a constant stress level. Not that there aren't vets that do get bothered by gun ranges and explosions, but it can be different for everybody. Um, I never had, I mean, this might sound horrible. I had to use my weapon several times on human beings and some of those human beings are no longer here because of that action. I'm okay with that. It doesn't bother me. Uh, What bothered me besides the stress level was the people you couldn't save over there. Uh, The people that you really couldn't help. Um, I'll probably write a column about it eventually about, you know, uh, one particular experience that always kind of, it always bothered me that I couldn't help this one, this one person. Um, and it just kind of replays in my mind. But for me, it was always the stress level. It's that constant, like I was idling at 75 where now I'm able to calm myself down. So I'm idling at, you know, whatever a normal human being would idle at. I think I'm much better at that now. And I wonder if 
because you're in a leadership role, you are in charge of protecting your unit. You are in yeah. charge well, of the missions. Right. I mean, that's you're on high alert all the time. All the time. You were revved up at right. 75 right. all right. the time. Right. Well, you had to be. I mean, we're, you know, I was in central Baghdad. And it's not like, you know, you leave central Baghdad when you're not on patrol. You're still in central Baghdad. Mm-hmm. Even though you might be in your, you know, your bunk room or whatever it is. You're still there. I mean, we got mortared all the time. Uh, and we had individuals that were hurt or killed by mortars uh, on the base. So it was never, you were never safe. Uh, so you had to, and, you know, maybe that's, if there's a link between like your PTSD and that you didn't feel safe constantly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's in the back of my head. It's always, and even to this day, it's always there. It's some. It takes more to make me not feel safe now. Right. Um. I. Yeah. I. Th- I think we will continue finding a lot of common ground. I think. Hopefully, you know, as we move through these episodes, we'll also share. You know, right now we're starting from ground zero. So yeah. we introduced ourselves. Yeah. Now Talk we have the history of our, our little stories. Our little stories I mean, that led little, us here together. I, I would say too, this is, and this is what I, like I said this on the Anxiety and the Artist podcast, and I'll say it here, that you're not alone out there. And that you can't do this alone. You're going to need help. Um, and that's okay. Uh you know, I remember I had some soldiers, or oh, let's put it this way, I know soldiers that were in Iraq that far saw far less than I did. And PTSD-wise, they are far worse than I am. I also had know some soldiers that saw far more than I did. And they are far better off than I am. So there's no scale to this. There's no, if you have PTSD or you think you, it's valid, period. And you need to get in if talk to the family, talk to people you trust first, but probably need some help. Yeah. And I think people, young people that were molested as a young child, I mean, I never turned to drugs. Right. I, I have been divorced three times. Obviously mm-hmm. I have an issue with intimacy and right. commitment and trust, but I never went to jail. I never got a speeding ticket. I right. never smoked a cigarette. Uh, honestly, I think if anything, I became a rule follower, not wanting to step out of line. Yeah. Not want to upset any male right. figure or authority figure in my life. Mm. And crawling out from under that has been tough. But I think I feel fortunate. I think I, I feel incredibly fortunate. I had my mom. Mm. You know, there's a teacher that I had in middle middle school, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade that is very much part of my life. And I credit him to checking in with me every day for those three years. Not that he ever gave way to like, I never thought that he thought there was anything wrong with me. He was just kind and consistent and inconsistent and just wanted you. How are you today? How are you? And that was enough. And honestly, that sometimes is, I know, I know several people out there that I usually check in at least a couple times a week. Hey, don't just because, I want them to know there's somebody out there that cares. So I've got to run Libby to her dad's. Yeah. Believe it or not, we're almost at 50 minutes. Okay, that's fine. 
Am I cutting you off? No, you're not cutting me off. This is fine. No, it's good. <laughs> I, that's what I really had to say. I mean, it's it's. I think we'll get more involved into this uh, later on too. I don't think this is the last episode. We'll talk about this. I think we'll talk a little bit more about. I think it'll be a thread. I think though, I did think of something that we could argue about today What's as that? we finish up this podcast. What's that? So we finished the first episode, and um, you you pulled off your headset, and you kind of raised an eyebrow and looked at me. And you said, <laughs> you said, Jen, you kind of made me out to be a Trumper. Not that there's anything wrong with being a Trumper. And I, and I paused and I looked at you and I said, do you, do you remember calling me a flaming liberal? I had no idea that was a bad thing. I, I thought it was just a joke. And then, then I said, do you remember calling me a witch? Yeah, I do remember that. So I said you were a good witch though. To you the did the best line ever that I it's will take with that. me. No house is falling on you anytime soon. Yeah, I that's going on my tombstone if I have one or my headstone. Yeah, that was a good line. Um, other than that, like not a whole lot of laughing today. I mean, it's pretty serious it's subject a heavy, matter. It's a heavy subject, and I think. As we kind of said in the first episode, there are a lot of people that suffer from this. Um, for different reasons. For different reasons. And that's where I want to I, – I just want people to know they're not alone out there. That it's it's okay to reach out for help. And and to even ask for somebody to check on you. I, yeah. And what the advice that I, I want to tell people, it's okay to be sad. If you yeah. need to cry, cry. If you're right. scared, be scared. Right. It's valid. But don't judge yourself. Right. I it's, judged myself for like my whole yeah. life. Well, it's when, when I was having a struggle at the beginning, like as well, I, I closed it off. Like I'm not going to deal with that. Like, no, I'm fine. I'm going to charge forward. I'm fine. I'm normal. I'm normal. No, you're not. I mean, anybody's met me. It might more. not be worthy, but I'm definitely normal. Yeah, like anybody's met me more than five minutes, like, that dude's not normal. Uh, but it's okay. So, I'm not normal either. You know, my mother still loves me, so that's all that matters. So, um, The dogs, did you notice under the table? Mm-hmm. Were nose-to-nose kissing, kind of? Oh, were they? Yes. Dave's mm-hmm. got a firm hold on Ruby's collar yes. right now. Yeah. Like, I think they've reached their maximum. I, I think it's like, okay, we're done. All right. Okay. Oh, you're all right. So one of the things we both believe in is small business and local communities. And um, we want to also bring that in and talk about people doing really good things as we move forward. Yeah. So um, I'll wrap it up then. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, thank you for listening. Um, I please keep the comments coming. Uh, Let us know what you like, what you don't like, uh, what you want to hear about. We did get some pretty good ideas about some future podcasts we would like to discuss and, some requests yeah and we'll, we'll take them that's fine uh we, we definitely don't know everything and we don't have all the answers so uh help us out so that we can make it more interesting for you but uh, other than that i hope you enjoyed the episode like i said comments questions concerns please let us know and uh until episode three thank you for joining us